listening to 103.2 Dublin City FM and online around the world at dublincityfm.ie. My name is Valerie Vetter and this is the Aftering radio show where we explore mortality. On today's programme, understanding the difficulties and complexities of the experience of grief or loss from miscarriage and abortion, particularly in teenage girls who've become pregnant. It's such a polarising topic, it can shut down discussion and can particularly stigmatise the women who've gone through it. Caroline Lloyd is an academic author and grief counsellor who's been talking to women about what it means for them and their very individual experiences of bereavement. So I suppose just to talk about uh, your research um, on perinatal grief and abortion, it's a very challenging and sensitive area, uh, but affects so many people and it's so not spoken about. Uh, how did you get started on that journey and what are the things that you've you've been learning over that time? Um, that's a great question and thank you for asking it. With my background supporting bereaved people, particularly in the counselling room and bereavement support groups, um, it's something that we don't tend to talk so much about in normal, well, it was called normal life. You know, we are out with your friends, you're having coffee or you're having dinner parties or whatever. It's not something that tends to come up in conversation um, uh, unless, you you know, you, it's usually more of a one on one conversation. But it, it, it certainly comes up in in the counselling room because when you're one on one with somebody and you've built trust with them and they're there usually for a different bereavement that they, they, they want support with or they're just looking for information. What tends to happen is there's a cumulative effect. So we don't just present one day um, uh, without a history, without a background. You know, I didn't just turn up on your radio show today as Caroline Lloyd. I, you know, I'm a 55-year-old woman with a lot of, of, of work experience and life experience. And some of that experience involves things that are sensitive and some things that I might not willingly talk about unless I, I know you or I trust you. And those are the kinds of issues that will come up in a counselling room, not because we can't talk about it. Um, these subjects aren't taboo. They're not forbidden, but they're, they are, as you say, rightly say, they are sensitive subjects. And for me, it's a personal decision who I talk to about personal issues. I, and I found it's the same with my clients. And so if you're with somebody who has been affected by multiple bereavements, um, it isn't uncommon when people talk about the the child bereavement or the infant bereavement that they've had previous miscarriages or they've had an abortion. And with women, when they're in a situation where a child has died or an infant has died or they've had a stillbirth or a miscarriage, um, very often the subject will come up and they will talk about their prior experiences. So when I started looking into understanding that more to better help people um, it, from a more informed uh, perspective, uh, in all the training I'd done and in all the reading I'd done as a lay person, and that means without access to academic resources, um, I found that there just really isn't anything when it comes to younger people. So most of the research looks at adults and doesn't look at earlier experiences so and the problem with that um valerie is with adults there's an assumption that a, a pregnancy is wanted 
there's an assumption that they're in a relationship and there's an assumption that it's a planned pregnancy. So the research sort of situates itself on the information on the websites from charities and government support, and medical support, sort of situates itself from those perspectives. So it's always seen to be a very negative experience, an overwhelming grief experience. Um, and there's now with the internet, there is so much of it. So you see people posting pictures of babies um, like Chrissy Teigen and John Legend. They posted a picture that went viral. Um, I think it was a year ago um, where she's holding the baby, the miscarriage in her arms all swaddled. So, but, but with teenagers, the issues are, are obviously different. So now we're going into what uh, they're usually not planned. Um, they're usually not in, you know, uh, relationships that would be permanent. Um, and they're not necessarily wanted either. So so now you're, you're talking about completely different variables and different issues. And of course, they, they're living at home. Um, within my criteria, they're living at home, they're with the parents. So there's a lot of confounding variables like schoolwork, parental views, peer groups, um, none of which is represented in the perinatal uh, literature for miscarriages, stillbirths and abortions uh, with adults. Uh, perinatal, does that just mean that word just mean before birth? Um, the, the words perinatal, um, I have written um, an article on, a journal article on um, that, we're, that we're hoping to publish. Um, because the word perinatal is hugely difficult um, for research uh, purposes because it means different things to different people, different organisations, different countries. So some researchers, some charities, some organisations like the World Health Organisation, they all have different definitions of what perinatal means. So I actually don't use that in my thesis at all. I've created a word that encompasses all death from the day of conception to 30 days post birth to be inclusive because it covers gestational and neonatal deaths. I, I, I just mashed them up and, and I used the word gestnatal because I can't use the word perinatal because it excludes certain demographic certain death ireland repealed the ace not that long ago the ace amendment of the constitution which means we do have limited abortion here um mm -hmm. it is limited but that side of it is that it's so charged and women if they decide you know they require an abortion it's so difficult to even talk about the process never mind what you feel like and it, you just get the sense that a lot of women would feel pressure to feel grief that that's mm. a loaded extra on top of the whole thing because it's so societally disapproved of in some sector especially when you get into the religious side of the spectrum mm -hmm. um catholicism is very strong mm -hmm. on that so it makes a lot of um complications for the psyche of a, a, a woman and her, and her partner, if, if the partner's there, to deal with all these things. You know, it's it's so complex, I would imagine. 
It is complex and, and you're absolutely right that it is complex. And one of the reasons that I included it in my thesis, um, so in my research, so I'm not just looking at islands, I'm looking at this from a global perspective. And the reason why I had to expand it, even though I'm at Trinity College, is because Irish women wouldn't talk to me. It took me a year to get one Irish woman to talk to me about miscarriage or stillbirth, uh, or stillbirth or abortion whilst they were in uh, in adolescence. So really, and, was, and I presume, I mean, yep. for a lot of academic research, it is anonymized. You know, it's completely anonymized. Completely anonymized. Um, they will and never yet, be identified. Still, with that, they no. I couldn't, it took me over a year and I only had one woman that was willing to talk to me. So everybody I spoke to, and I spoke to everybody that I ever bumped into in the street, on the bus, you know, I, I tweeted, I used social media extensively, I asked everyone to ask everyone, and I had multiple people tell me they knew someone and their friend knew somebody, and yes, they would contact me, and yes, they were going to get to me, or no, the overriding word I heard was no, they won't talk to you, no, they won't talk to you. And I said that you will be completely anonymous. They, you know, I can speak to them on the telephone so I can never see them. They can give me a, a fake name. You know, I, I will do whatever I need to do so that I even I don't know who they are. And no, they wouldn't talk to me. There was only one woman who was absolutely superb. She gave me her time so generously. She was so open. She was just incredible. Um, and I'm hugely grateful to her, but I had no choice but to make my study global because Irish women wouldn't speak to me. I think that just demonstrates how important it is, you know, that we're well, still so scared and f for good reason, too. It's it's um, it's very tough, isn't it? That's very tough it, on people. It's very it's 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 very difficult to um, to engage in conversations in society and engage in advocating for a marginalized um, population in policy in practice i can't you know how how are we supposed to publish anything that we can disseminate to schools to politicians to medical providers we can't provide them with any information or guidelines or anything to support these girls or help these girls in any way when they won't tell us what they need um, or what would help them so my hands were tied so i went global i had no problems obtaining um, uh, participants from other countries that was not a problem at all so i so whilst i can't specifically talk about ireland um, I, from my research um, that that, as you say, Catholicism is such a blanket over the socio-historical um, views on girls who get pregnant whilst they're in school, that uh, there is a blame culture. If you just look at the newspapers and you see, you know, the headlines, if a teenager gets pregnant in school and they're excluded from school um, and they're the Irish woman that did speak to me told me that she wasn't she was stuck between a rock and a hard place she said there was on the one hand she wasn't allowed to be pregnant because you couldn't be a single uh, parent you know um and that the neighbors 
were all like baying for blood when one of her, when somebody on the street did get pregnant, she wasn't married. And yet, by the same token, because abortion was illegal, she said, you know, she had to procure medical services by going to England. So if you're saying you're not allowed to be a single parent, but you're not allowed to have an abortion, you know, you, you kind of, you're putting these girls in a position and I have to quantify um, and say this, this woman told, you know, was a teenager and she said to me, she got pregnant the first time she had sex. And this is not an uncommon narrative in, in my interviews and with the questionnaires. This is very common. You know, the teenagers are teenagers, but also, Valerie, I'd just like to point out that pregnancy doesn't occur with just the woman, you know, with just the girl. There are two people involved in a pregnancy. So, and I think we, we do lose that um, in the polarization of whether it's right or wrong, the morality of whether it's right or wrong, we kind of lose sight of the real issues, which is that you know, teenagers are teenagers um, and and it's perfectly natural for them to explore um, th their developmental phases and, and, and learning um, during this process as they sort of navigate their way into adulthood, you know, um, and it doesn't help if we condemn them for doing something that I personally would consider to be natural behaviour, particularly when they're over the age of, I'm talking about when they're over the age of consent. The, when you particularly get um, a religious component, there's the wearing of the scarlet letter, you know, there's the kind of um, the fallen woman idea, all of these things come to play and people trying to, I can understand, escape that so that they'll never speak of it again. And from a grief perspective, what does that tend to do to people? Because you, you spoke a little bit about that when in counselling sessions, people coming forward about, say, a grief that's more recent, and then other bereavements come up. Yeah, they they do, they do tend to because there's often, particularly as you, as you go through life, and and it certainly happens to me, you do look at your different experiences in different ways. Um, as you experience more and more, you reflect on earlier experiences and you might reframe them and you might see them in a different way. But, you know, for some people, um, what I found with my research, it didn't matter what kind of death occurred. That wasn't the issue at all. It's whether there was personhood ascribed to the pregnancy. So in other words, if they saw the pregnancy as a potential baby and, and they saw themselves as a potential mother, then there would be an attachment. And as we all know from, uh, from, from, from grief theory, just from basic grief theory, the, the attachment is what determines whether you grieve and, and how deeply you grieve. So obviously, the more you love somebody, the more you're attached to somebody when they die, you know, the, the stronger the grief response will be. Um, and that's perfectly natural. And it doesn't matter what kind of relationship you had with that person, you know, what the label was, um, you know. And so for some girls, the pregnancy will be 
um, to them, it's a new life. It's a new identity. It's I'm going to be a mother. And then when they miscarry or they have um, an abortion for whatever reason, and there are many reasons for, for terminating during adolescence, and they're not always self-determined. They're not always chosen by the girls, um, particularly if they're underage and particularly if they've been raped. And particularly if it's incest, um, and I had stories of all of them, then over time, they may not, they may, without the personhood, without seeing themselves as mothers or seeing it as a potential baby, then there would be none or little in terms of a grief reaction at the time. And, and certainly, the converse is true and I found that with my participants they just sat on a normal bell curve so some people were deeply attached and did grieve and some were not and didn't particularly grieve but there was a like a normal distribution curve as you would expect with any population there wasn't a skew in either direction um, but what I did find with the older participants is how their views on the events at that time during adolescence had changed uh, changed over the life course. So at the time, you know, they saw it, they may have seen it as a negative event, but then over time, they saw it as a positive event, as something that enabled them to to see things in a different way, or enabled them to undertake further education, which they wouldn't have initially. I did find, interestingly, that the women who stated that they had a religious background had been to a, re a religious school, uh, and obviously not just in Ireland, because um, those participants were thin on the ground, did not consider themselves to be bereaved mothers. And I thought that was a, a, a quite an interesting finding, because if you look at, for example, the doctrine of the church that states that, you know, that there is a life at the point of conception. So the death of that life means you would be a mother, a bereaved mother. I was expect that was my assumption as a researcher when I started this. But actually, my questionnaire responses were the opposite. The women that did not identify with the religion, did not go to a religious school, called themselves, were more likely to call themselves or consider themselves to be a bereaved mother. And the women that were not religious, that were religious, did not. Ooh. And I know, and Very I unexpected. was, when I, I, well, I just, I ran those numbers because I had two phases to my study. And the first phase was questionnaires. And then the second stage were interviews. And when I, no I noticed that, because I used to be an account, I used to be an accountant professionally. And so I ran the numbers through Excel and I, and, and I was looking at correlations between for different patterns. And that was one of the first things I noticed that really surprised me because I thought, well, if you're, if you believe that personhood, that life begins at conception, why do you not think consider yourself to be a bereaved mother after and it could be either a miscarriage or an abortion um and that's something i'd really like to follow up and and find out well, do you have any theories about what's happening i do you know i don't 
I really don't. Um, it's some. It I my assumption uh, prior to as I as I stated was that it would be the opposite way, which is why I was looking for a correlation in in that respect. But absolutely, it was the opposite. So I've absolutely no idea. And then then the religious um, group was it? Were they all Catholics, or was it a mix of different religions? It was a mix of different religions and um, and different belief systems. Yes, because they were global. It was it wasn't just uh, Catholic or Christians. Okay, so but they share. They tended to share that. Yes. Yes, wow. I thought that was fascinating. Did you find like different impacts how women experienced it, whether it was a miscarriage or an abortion? Because you'd expect that there would be quite a difference between the two experiences when it comes to grief. No, there was no there was no difference at all. Um, it just depended on whether the woman had attached to the 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 pregnancy or not, um, it had no difference whether, because oftentimes abortion, especially in adolescence, is not chosen. It's usually parental pressure or societal pressure. Um, they know they can't raise a baby, they can't look after a baby, or they've been raped, as I say, or they've had non-consensual um, sex with somebody. And, um, and very often, one of the patterns that I did find is that a lot of girls, and this is borne out by other research, a lot of girls that get pregnant, particularly in um, adolescence, have experienced what we call um, adverse childhood experiences. So, um, and I know a, a number of my uh, uh, interview participants that had been sexually abused as children. So, you know, this whole idea that uh, women are just getting pregnant without any consideration and then just choosing abortion as if, you know, it's um, like, you know, uh, a, a non-event um, is is completely unfounded um, in my research. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but in my research, that is not what I found at all and definitely not in adolescence. There is a, um, a public narrative, particularly in newspapers where, where they talk about you know, girls sort of being a bit dismissive and using it as contraception. And, and maybe there are um, women that do that, but it certainly isn't borne out by the research that I've read or um, with my participants at all. It isn't something that is um, undertaken lightly. It isn't something um, that is particularly chosen. It's more a case of um, not having other options that would be viable. I suppose that's one of the things is that as humans, there's always a rush to judgment and newspapers really exploit that for, for clicks yeah. because, you know, judging other people when you have no idea what's going on in their lives and exactly. what, what's but led to any decision that they've made. When we look at girls who get pregnant, they tend to be, I found, they tend to be stigmatized and blamed. Um, for being, you know, bad girls or and called names, um, and yet, you know, we don't do that with boys, do we? And then, but with adult women who experience a miscarriage uh, or an abort or, or decide to have an abortion or have a, a stillbirth, 
Um, there's a huge amount of sympathy and support and overwhelming support, um, particularly on social media. So, and I think there's a real conversation to be had in the role of schools and because they're a little microclimate of the social environment. And so they kind of bring in their views from wider society. And, you know, and that isn't always so positive and it can be a bit judgmental. And I certainly found that in my research. So, you know, we could, I think we could do a bit better. Um, and then how that impacts the individual um, girls and certainly across the lifespan. Um, and so, for example, I did have one participant who struggled to get, who had an abortion at 18 and she struggled to get pregnant after that and suffered uh, various baby losses and eventually did have a child um, and the child has um, special needs. And she says, you know, because of that experience, her perspective on her termination has changed hugely. Um, and, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, um, and, and I think that's something we need to consider as well is we make the best decision that we can at the time that we make it based on who we are and our perception at that time, both individually and socially. And, you know, it's very easy across the lifespan to be in a better position and have better knowledge and be more educated or more or be in a situation where we have our own home. And then we can repent at leisure, um, certainly for some for some women. Um, and that can be a tricky thing to navigate. And I think there should be more awareness of this and how do we counteract that when somebody's young? How do we support young women in saying you can make you can only make decisions at the time and sometimes those decisions are not yours to make. And in the case of non-consensual sex or rape or child sex abuse or incest, and this did come up a lot, I think there needs to be more conversations around that. And it isn't their fault. We have to not blame girls for things that are happening to them and not things that this isn't something that they're actively engaging in. This is something that happened to them. And then they may not be making a decision to have a termination. Um, it could just be that there is the perception of no other choice. Um, and yes, I think that that that. These messages, I think, are quite important. And I promised all of my participants that that were so wonderful and generous with me with their time that I would do the best that I could to to provide um, a, a voice to them and and do my best to disseminate that in 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 the best way that I possibly can, Valerie. My name is Valerie Vetter and thanks for listening to the show today. A big thanks to Caroline Lloyd. You can find more information about her work from carolineloyd.co.uk and that's C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E-L-L-O-Y-D.co.uk and her book Grief Demystified is a guide to understanding the myriad experiences of bereavement. It can be found through all good booksellers and in the library too. If you're affected by the loss of a baby, there's a support available online via pregnancy and infant loss.ie till next time goodbye
You're listening to 103.2 Dublin City FM and online around the world at dublincityfm.ie. Up next is LGBTQ Plus Live with Nick Fitzgerald. Thank you. 